Newcastle and the Hunter Valleys. Two in URFM 103.7. Finance today with Stephen Pritchard. Not too far away, Henry Jennings will join us. Our topic is looking at some investment opportunities. And we'll take a look at the commodities now, Stephen. How's that Australia dollar faring? It's been like a seesaw lately, hasn't it? Uh, the Australian dollar, yeah. The, the currencies um, were basically down at all the other currencies for the week. The Australian dollar against the US dollar was down about a cent to 70 cents. Um, it's continuing to drop in accordance. Um, there's a number of forecasts saying it's going to go to 65 or even one one investment bank saying it's going to drop to 50 cents, which will be interesting. Best looking 50 cent piece in the court, in the world. Uh, nice gold. Uh, gold. <laughs> uh, rubber, probably. Um, and we're down against the Great British Pound of 46 cents. Um, we're down against the New Zealand dollar to a dollar and seven New Zealand. And we're down against the Canadian dollar to 93 cents Canadian. Um, with, with, the, with the commodities, we're down against gold. I mean, gold's down at 1.5 percent on the week to fifteen hundred and fifty three dollars an ounce. Silver was down four percent to twenty dollars uh twenty dollars and twenty one cents an ounce and our nickel was down two percent to thirteen thousand four hundred and seventy one dollars a ton. And the equity markets, well they're a sea of red ink across the world. Oh. Sea of red ink. Um we're down in Australia um two uh, percent on the week to five thousand one hundred and eighty one Looks like it's going to continue to drop till Christmas, I'd say. This rate, um, the Dow Jones was down one percent to seventy thousand seven hundred and two. Um, the UK index, the FTSE, was down one point eight percent to six thousand two hundred and ninety-seven. And the Hang Seng, which is a Hong Kong index, was down to was down three percent to twenty-two thousand three hundred fifty-two. Um, and something that's more directly affecting our pockets immediately is the. Um, the West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil price was down um, 3% to $62.70 a barrel. And the unleaded petrol price in Newcastle was down marginally to $1.25 a litre. And the, compared to Sydney, $1.30 a litre, where Sydney was actually up 8% on the week. So there's $0.05 cents a litre difference there. And um, the diesel price in Newcastle was $1.28 a litre and compared to Sydney, $1.23 a litre. Okay. So, so you know, the, the petrol price is drifting lower. Stephen Pritchard is here and our very special guest joining us right now, Stephen. We've got Henry, Henry Jennings back. We've got Henry Jennings to give our weekly market uh, roundup. How are you? Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. So where are you today? Sydney, Melbourne? I'm in sunny Sydney. Sunny Sydney? Well, not that sunny. Is it? <laughs> well, yeah. it's not too bad, actually. It's not too bad. Is it going to rain this afternoon? Uh, I think the, uh, there's some storm warnings out and about again, so uh, okay. that could be interesting. So speaking of storms, there appears to be a bit of storm going on down at Santos there. A big well, rights issue, yeah. share price falling? Well, the share price, uh, well, Santos has come back on trading today having uh, completed the first stage of their uh, capital raising to raise $2.5 billion. This is the institutional placement. The stock's down um, 16% uh, this morning on their theoretical um, X rights price. Um, they're currently trading at $4.32. Um, they raised money at $3.85. So, um, yeah, it's not been a good morning for Santos. I guess uh, the oil price is not helping, but um, certainly... The, um, the takeover premium has now evaporated from Santos as they've placed around sort of 10 to 15 percent with a um, Chinese private equity buyer. Mm. So, do you think this is going to fix their problems? Um, 
it's going to fix their problems for the time being. It's certainly going to plug a big hole in their um, in their capital requirements in terms of their debt ratios. The problem they still have is that they are heavily um, geared to the oil price. So if we see the oil price continue to fall, and there are some people predicting more falls ahead, then that's obviously going to uh, impact them. And if it stays where it is, there's certainly some possibility for some impairment charges as well, which will also affect the balance sheet. So um, they can probably see light at the end of the tunnel. It remains to be seen whether that's an oncoming train or whether it is genuine light, but certainly the, the pressure is somewhat off, but um, as you can see by the share price, um, things are still not a happy place there. Mm. And speaking of happy places, uh, there's this big dam burst that be giving BHP all sorts of grief in uh, over yeah. in Brazil, and now they're saying it claims it wasn't properly constructed to start with. Well, I mean, I, I'm no uh, geotech or uh, tailings dam expert, so I'll leave that to uh, to other people to discuss. But BHP certainly have got some issues. They have a, a 50-50 joint venture with uh, with Vale, which is the big Brazilian iron ore miner. They've got a company called Samarco. Um, I'm sure listeners would have seen lots and lots of press about this because BHP being our biggest company just about or probably was our biggest company um, is um, is under serious pressure following this uh, this tragedy where um, a lot of people have lost their lives and a big mudslide has now contaminated uh, the village. BHP, I guess, is no stranger to this problem. They had some issues back in the 90s with uh, Octedi up in PNG where they had... Uh, contamination from uh, from one of their projects flowing into the river as well so um, they're not a stranger to this it's not a good look um, the uh, the head man Andrew McKenzie is over there at the moment and they're obviously going to have to pay compensation uh, remediation costs and there's also a question of uh, whether other tailings dams around the world have got uh, problems as well so um, BHP struggling well they're just they're managing to keep above $20 but they are at a 10 year low which um for all those people that uh, always have BHP as part of their portfolio as they were advised by their stockbrokers to diversify, um, they're not looking good. But uh, the yield is very attractive as long as they can keep paying it. Mm, so what is the yield? It must be up 8 or 9% by now. I think it's about 8.5% yeah. by now. It's, it's crazy. And, of course, um, with BHP, it's paid in US dollars. So if the Aussie dollar goes down, the yield effectively is geared to the um, the Aussie dollar going down, as, as many people predict. But... Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's certainly a massive yield for a for a mining company. And I would say that with all the compensation they're going to have to pay, they're going to end up borrowing money to uh, to pay the dividend. Um, this might actually be the excuse they need to pull the progressive dividend policy and uh, and put it on the back burner while they sort this issue out. Yes, and and speaking of mining, Fortescue Metals uh, chairman's come out and predicted that the uh, iron ore prices will fall further. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Fortescue is, uh, is is always pretty critical about the big two, BHP and Rio, in terms of their production profile, which is increasing. Um, and they they cite the, the the falling iron ore price as the symptom of increased production from uh, BHP, Rio, and Vale. I mean, they they fail to mention they're also doing the same production. thing and, uh, and joining the same game. So um, it's a little bit hypocritical. But certainly, you know, one of the problems the iron ore and other commodity markets have is not just the demand side, it's more the supply side. And these big miners are very geared up to, uh, to mega supply uh, and they show no sign of, uh, of pulling that uh, production profile back. Yes, so, uh, yes, and there's some issue about um, 
one of the shareholders um, is, of Fortescue is being investigated in China as well. Yeah, well... Yeah. Yeah. No surprise, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, probably no surprise, but, yeah, um, yeah it's, um, it's, it's, again, not, not particularly good look. Uh, I guess the, uh, the worst-case scenario would be if that uh, particular investor would be forced to, uh, to sell shares yeah. um, to either raise money or for some other reason. Yep. Um, so, but at the moment, the, the market's taking it with a, with a, a grain of salt. Fortescue's only down um, a cent today, so not too concerned about it at the moment. I think the market's got other concerns mm. just at the moment. And so the Woolworths, the Woolworths AGM's promising to be fiery with uh, yeah. Paul Simons uh, having another go. And Yeah, I mean, Woolworths has been an absolute disaster. And uh, I think anybody that's uh, walked around the Woolies recently will, will, will only be too aware of the problems they've got. I, I certainly went into our local one uh, down here on the um, Northern Beaches, just south of of you guys, and it's it's not a particularly happy place to be. The, the people seem pretty unmotivated. There's lots of holes on the shelf for products. Admittedly, this is not a big Woolies, but it doesn't seem to be um, a, a company that has its mojo. Um, and the AGM is shaping up to be a particularly uh, fiery affair. You've got a past chairman, Paul Simons, uh, fresh from his Graceland tour, um, who's going to be uh, asking some very awkward questions about why they sold Dick Smith holdings at such a ridiculously low price. Um, and also, I guess, the other big question is why they haven't got a new CEO yet, and Grant O'Brien is uh, a dead man walking as uh, he waits to pick up his, uh, his superannuation money, um, which seems a little, um, a little benevolent for a board, uh, especially given the share price destruction uh, that has been, mm. uh, been seen on his watch. So... I think they're being a little bit too uh, benevolent towards Grant O'Brien. And, uh, I mean, this is a symptom of corporate culture throughout Australia. The boards tend to uh, tend to look after the management, and the management tend to look after the boards. And everyone is in it together, and everyone ratchets up their pays and talks about how mm. the, you know, mm. they, they've got to compete with the world, and they, uh, they continue mm. to ratchet up the, the gravy train for, um, for the fact oh, that... Oh, that, that's uh, right, I mean... Uh, but it's interesting. You, the comment you made is um, that you, you walked around the Woolworths supermarket and saw this and that and everything else. And Paul's one of the big criticisms that Paul Simon seems to be making is that none of the board or the executives are actually walking around the shops and seeing what's going on. No, I, I mean I, I think you know the, 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 the average uh, mum and dad investor sometimes has a far greater handle on uh, what's actually going on on the ground than say the management, the board, or even analysts. I mean, analysts live in their ivory towers, get paid lots of money, um, and sit there with their spreadsheets doing numbers and doing scenarios. But I wonder if anybody actually bothers to walk around the stores themselves and see what the problems are. Um, I think it's always good to uh, to get a feel for um, for what's actually happening on the ground. And certainly, looking at our local Woolies, it wasn't a particularly good site. And then when you look at uh, the local Coles, which is a couple of kilometres down the road, I mean, they've got deli counters and motivated staff and good checkouts and, uh, and, and products that are, are, are better and better presented. So um, mm. it's easy to see why Coles is, uh, is wiping Plenty. the floor with Woolies at the moment. So we might just come back in a minute and talk about um, Microsoft's new store here in Australia. Sure. And our very special guest, which is Senior Commentator with Marcus Today Financial Newsletter, Henry Jennings. Henry. Stephen, how are you? Good, good. And, and Microsoft's opening a, 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 its first concept store outside of the US in Australia. Yeah, this, this, is, um, this is quite remarkable, isn't it? That we're yeah. lucky enough to be, uh, to 
be bestowed at a, a Microsoft store, I guess. Um, you know, we've already got the, the mega Apple store in uh, in George Street, and Microsoft is, is doing the same. Um, the one difference that they've got, I guess, apart from obviously being Microsoft, is that you're allowed to actually walk around with the products, um, whereas the Apple ones are very much sort of um, nailed down to the desks and people can mm. trial them and play with them, but they can't move around with them, whereas the Microsoft ones, um, you're actually going to be able to uh, to wander around the store actually holding and testing their, their tablets and their Surface Pros, etc. So um, I'd imagine there's some that are going to walk out the door, but they seem to be um, quite content with any sort of losses that they do um, incur through that. But, uh, yeah, it should be quite exciting. There's a big crowd, and I think they're also um, promoting it with a, um, a special Jesse J uh, con- um, concert at the uh, State Theatre as well. So, yeah, a lot of hullabaloo. Mm. Um, which is, um, well, I guess, is an interesting, um, interesting sort of turn for uh, for Microsoft, who are not really known for their uh, their retail presence under that kind of guise. Mm. Um, and they're even saying that it, you know, they understand that Microsoft um, products are used on lots of other kind of um, um, appliances in terms of, you know, uh, Lenovo or your know, IBM laptops or whatever, and, and they're going to fix those for free. For oh, you, are they? Even if it's not a Microsoft branded. Um, laptop, tablet, or whatever, as long as it's using Microsoft. Um, the Microsoft system, um, then they're going to be able to fix it free. I'm sure there's a lot of computer st- stores that are going to be pretty unhappy about that one. No, I'm sure that's the case. I mean, <laughs> I, when I went to the US about um, four years ago, it was the first time I even found out these Microsoft stores existed. Yeah. And, and you know, there were all sorts of this technology. We, we just wandered in, I think it was in one of the malls in California or something, just wandered yeah. in there. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's just amazing, all this technology we didn't have here, yeah. or we might probably have it here now, but that, yeah. but, but, but was over there, these large touchscreen um, screens. And, yeah. and you could just wander around and... And the staff actually encourage you to wander around and try out things. Yeah, I know. I, mean, I must admit, I use a, um, a Surface Pro tablet now, um, which converts into a desktop, which is which is fantastic. So when, I, when I'm at work, it's a, a desktop and plugs into a cradle. And when I want to go home or want to go travelling, I uh, just unplug it and it becomes a tablet. Oh, excellent. It's, um, it's a good machine, I have to say. I and mean, being an Apple fan prior to that, and still being an Apple fan as I have, Apple laptops, um, yeah, it's um, interesting to see how, how far Microsoft have come, I guess. Mm, I'll have to go and have a look. Yeah. Um, and speaking of one technology, one of Australia's arguably great technology success stories, uh, Computer Share. Yeah. Um, the chairman of that's retiring after a long time. He's been there a long, long, long time. So, um, yeah, it's hardly a big surprise. Chris Morris uh, stepping down. Um, I thought when you were talking about one of Australia's great success stories, we were, we were going to talk about um, Alassian. Which oh, is, we can uh, talk about that too. Which is another great Australian success story. This is a, a cloud-based uh, collaborative software company run by a couple of very, very rich people now, mm-hmm. um, which is listing in the US. They're talking about a, a $3.2 billion valuation. So mm-hmm. um, you're going to be lucky if you're Australian to be able to get your hands on any of the stock. But um, these guys... Um, it, it's a massive Australian success story. They're still based in Sydney. Um, and I guess if it is as successful as we hope in, uh, in the US, then um, we should see a flood more of, uh, of, of Australian startups and tech companies uh, following in their footsteps, which would be good to see. But, yeah, going back to ComputerShare, here's uh, Chris Morris. Um, he's been there nearly a decade. So um, 
he's been there a long, long time, and uh, he was the the CEO prior to that as well, in from mm. 1990. So he's been around a huge, long time. So a big change in, in culture at Computer Share, uh, which for those listeners who don't know, they are the guys that run uh, a lot of uh, share uh, registries for companies. Yes, yes. Like, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, very, very successful business that's grown, grown up out of Melbourne. Yes. Around the world. I think they're the biggest yeah. share registry company in the world now. Um, isn't, isn't Alassian going to be joint listed on ASX? Um, I don't think... No, I is. haven't heard that. I was asking you, though. No. Whether you... Yeah. They're, they're, doing, a, they're doing a strange thing. Um, one of the problems that these guys get when they list things is that they, they tend to lose a bit of control. But what the, what the, the two founders, um, Scott Farquhar and Mike Cannon-Brooks, are doing um, is they're splitting the shares into A and B shares. Mm-hmm. Um, and one lot of shares carries ten times as many votes as the other lot. So it's a bit like what uh, Rupert did with News Corp, in that uh, even though he didn't own the shares, he still had control over the company through the um, through the different classification of uh, A and B shares. So this is, this is very much what Alassian are doing um, with this one as well. So um, rather than lose control to uh, to shareholders or venture capitalists or other investors, they're going to be able to keep control of their business through this dual uh, structure. Okay. And that, that kind of explains, because ASX has a one-share-one-vote rule, generally. Um, yeah, yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah, it for does. Oh, well, I, I say I say that'll be pressure on ASX to change that. Yeah. And and Dulux. Dulux has had a surprisingly good result because of the home building. Uh, yeah, it's hardly surprising given the nation's fascination, I guess. Building. Home, home renovation shows and, uh, and Bunnings, but Dulux certainly has had uh, a good result. Um, their profits was up around 8%. So about 112 million. The outlook's still um, quite promising uh, for them. So um, yeah, so no, it's it's all been good. The stock has run quite hard, as you would imagine, mm-hmm. uh, being uh, sort of inextricably linked to the success of things like the block. Um, so uh, it has run quite hard, but um, you know it's, it's run for around five dollars thirty, and its recent lows back up to uh, six dollars thirty. So um, it's done it's done pretty good things, but. Um, Probably more to come, um, and with Dulux as well, it is kind of kind of counter cyclical in terms of the property market because even though we may see a, a cooling of uh, house price rises and sales, uh, people are still renovating, and people obviously want to add value to their homes by uh, renovating. So, um, so they they still win even when the property market cools. Mm, mm, that's right. Hopefully, anyway. And speaking of people who still win seemingly endlessly, um, we touched yeah. on it before that the executive salaries. There's there's some stories, there's comments now saying that the the salaries being paid to bank executives are quite ridiculous. Well, I think the salaries paid to most uh, corporate CEOs is, is quite ridiculous, really. Um, you know, if, if you're paying someone. You know, Ten thousand dollars a day to do a job. If he goes to the loo, it costs you mm-hmm. five hundred bucks. You know, it's it's crazy, it's crazy stuff. So um, I think you know the, these bank executives. I think um, Gail Kelly got paid eleven million bucks for her last mm-hmm. um, four months at Westpac. It, it is extraordinarily uh, huge numbers. And you know, as we, we talked about earlier, in terms of um, you know um, boards and management seem to be embedded in this. Um, sort of um, game to talk each other's salaries up and talk about overseas competition. Um, but it just does seem to have got out of hand um, and, and really and truly I'm not sure anybody is worth that amount of money um, except maybe a, a really good 
footballer. Maybe. <laughs> Mark Smith's getting $10 million to go away, isn't he? He's getting his goodbye yeah. present. Well, yeah, I mean, and at least, you know, these guys, you, you look at some of the, you know, the, the banks have uh, done nothing but go backwards. Um, and I've always kind of said that, the, you know, it's pretty easy to run a bank. That's to be easy. Honest. They're, they're mm. very big, stable businesses, and you can't do much to change them. The hard bit is not actually to run the bank. The hard bit is actually to get in the position where you can run the bank. Um, and that, that takes years of skill and manipulation and politics to get the CEO job. But once you've got it, um, you know, all you've got to do is turn up for the odd charity thing and make a few speeches and make sure that everyone's doing their job okay and, 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 and delegate and lead, which is, um, uh, I don't know, is that worth ten, fifteen million million? Uh, I mean, that sounds, like, that sounds like my weight of money theory, that some of these companies are just so big that the money just keeps flooding in. And well, once, you, once you get to the top, as long as you don't do anything too bad... It'll just keep going. Well, that's right. And also, if, if, if you're smart, um, you know, you put in place a structure of, of um, compensation metrics that, that give you a head start. And, you know, it's all about engagement with staff. And it's all about, you know, rather than just pure profit, it's return on capital and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, as long as you don't stuff it up too much, mm. you, you're going to make a monster. And, and we've seen that with the banks that, mm. you know, they continue to pay um, very high dividend payouts. There's not much growth in them because no one's prepared to take a risk in case they stuff it up and therefore they lose their uh, $10 million a year salaries. Mm. And, and you can't blame them in that environment. You know, it's, it, mm. it's, it's not, a, not something you want to lose. Um, and there's no, there's no real um, upside for them to create massive amounts of shareholder value. Mm. Mm, that's um, right. And we've seen that with, um, you know, with other banks like NABs that have gone overseas and stuffed it up. Ends up getting booted out, so so why bother? Just keep sh- shareholders happy with high dividends, keep the share price relatively okay. Don't stuff it up and take your ten million. It only takes you two or three years of that, and you just right. slide off into the sunset. You're right, that's right. And uh, just one thing to close off: um, yep. industry funds yep. apparently have been lending out stock for short selling. Yeah, I mean industry funds have been doing this for donkeys. Years they the all, pope, they've all been doing the pope it. Was Liquidity arguments just nonsense. I mean, if they're long-term holders, what do they care about liquidity for? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you know, being able to buy shares cheaper because some somebody has a, a bearish view on the stock is 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 a massive fee, mm-hmm. and I think they're just trying to uh, trying to talk themselves out of a bit of a, a 
bad PR situation. Yeah. Okay. Thanks anyway. for that, Henry. My uh, pleasure, Stephen. Yeah. You have a lovely week, and yeah. I will speak to you uh, next week. Speak to you next Thursday. Okay. Thanks, Henry. Cheers. Bye. And what we're having a chat about today with our topic is some investment opportunities. What have you got in line there for us, Stephen, for consideration? What we were actually talking about is is how you can identify some investment opportunities, and Henry briefly touched on it um, before. And, and and this is one of the major advantages I think that retail investors have over institutional investors. So as Henry said, he went down to, to he went down to the local Woolworths store, and and saw that you know the shelves were empty and and you know the staff were upset and all weren't happy and and. Um, and then he goes down to the Coles store and finds out that the stocks are falling and all the shops happy. So, so what is what what you can do is you can identify where you should invest by doing some basically some um, um, some footwork or a bit le- of research of your own. Research really? yeah. your own. I mean, you know, yeah. there's different ways of doing research, and this is this is one way that the average investor can do by looking out as to what's popular and what's not popular. I mean. And then there's a, there's a famous investor in the US who was a very successful investor by the name of Peter Lynch. And Peter Lynch ran the world's largest investment fund, which was called the Magellan Fund, which isn't related to the Magellan Fund here in Australia. But the Magellan Fund was the largest investment fund in the world. And a lot of research that Peter Lynch used to do was was, was what the, his children were buying and go down to the local um, mall, as they called in the in the US, and find out what the what what the shoppers were buying. And as a result of that, he was an early investor in Pizza Hut and KFC, and the fund made a lot of money. So it's the same thing. I mean, you, you look at you know what, what my son's buying. He likes he he, he he you know a few years ago they started buying Domino pizzas, and mm-hmm. and if you'd have bought the Domino pizzas um, um, chairs because of that, you'd have done very well. Yeah. And you go down, you go down to the um, local supermarket, uh, the local shopping centre, and see which stores are expanding. And I, I know, I know, the kids were all the kids were were, were all very into buying this Smiggle stationery yes, stuff. Yeah, they were. They love it. Um, Smiggle, Smiggle's a uh, which is now being exported to um, the UK. They're opening the first store in the UK, and and Smiggle is uh, part of the Premier Group, and the shares of the Premier Group have have have. Um, done extremely well, and one of the drivers of that is the Smiggle Group. So what you, what you need to do is look right around your everyday products that you're using, and, and and think about why you're using them, why other people may be using them, and ask your friends if you're using. And that, that's one way you can you can identify um, investment opportunities. It's really quite simple if you think about it. Just it keep your eyes open, look around, and, and see, be perceptive to what's happening, and move in on it when you think, hang on, this is, seems to be something happening here. I might get involved in this and. Get in at an early stage before it really booms. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we were talking about earlier off the air was that um, was that um, the James Bond movie. Yes, and um, and the James Bond movie is popular. Oh yeah, dragging lots of people to the box. And then we've got the then we've got the um, Star Wars next event coming out. So if you're an investor and you're thinking, well, um, people are going to see uh, James Bond and people are going to see um, Star Wars, that has to be good for the cinema business. Um, what type of shares could I buy there? Look into that, especially with some expansion going on in our area and a big cinema being built uh, uh, up on Westfield Katara. Westfield Katara, yeah, yeah. And there's some new restaurants going in there too. Yeah, to accompany it. Yeah, they're promoting some, they're supposedly going to have some upmarket restaurants. It's exciting so. time and we should show support uh, for those sort of things too. That's great. We're almost out of time. Thank you for today. Thanks.
David. Back again next Thursday. Next it is Finance Today with Stephen Pritchard. Back with us again, looking at all that is finance for us from midday till one next Thursday here at 2 on your RFM.